Our text this morning is taken from Psalm 119. And this morning we look at the verses 25 through 32. That's the fourth stanza in Psalm 119. You know that Psalm 119 is an acrostic. So this section deals with the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the Daleth. Every line begins with that letter. You also know that Psalm 119 is a psalm that speaks about the beauty of God's law and the love for God's law is exposed, expounded on here. And one way in which the poet does that is by using many words to refer to the law. Each stanza has quite a few different terms that refer to God's law. And you'll see that also in our text this morning. So let's read the verses 25 through 32. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, when your doctor tells you that tests show that you have an enlarged heart, you may not be very happy to hear that news. An enlarged heart can lead to heart failure. And if you would say to your doctor, you know what, doctor, what I'm going to do is I'm going to run. That may not be what the doctor wants to hear either. Running and having an enlarged heart may not go so well together. Now have a look at verse 32, the conclusion of our text. Verse 32, where it says, You enlarge my heart. So God enlarges the heart of the believer. And as a result, I will run in the way of your commandments. An enlarged heart, and now I'm going to run. No, that is not medical advice. That is spiritual teaching. Because Psalm 119 is a teaching psalm. It's important to keep that in mind. It's not a psalm in which we say, look how good we are, as if we live up to everything that is 
in here and that we sing. It is rather the Spirit who teaches us this is what it should be. Because my life isn't always according to this psalm. But the Spirit uses Psalm 119 to teach us the love for God's law. You can also say that the Spirit uses Psalm 119 to teach us the riches of God's grace in Jesus Christ. That the Spirit wants to show us how rich we are in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ and the freedom of His grace. We heard from Galatians, the law is the law of liberty, of freedom. And in the beginning of chapter 5, we read further on in chapter 5, but in the beginning of Galatians 5, we read, For freedom Christ has set us free. So he has set us free in order that we would live and walk and run in this freedom. And so Psalm 119 is a psalm in which the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ directs us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Christ has obtained for us, the liberty, the freedom, so that we may walk in joy. The joy of that newfound liberty. And so I summarize our text this morning in this way that God's law is the law of freedom. Now I said that the psalm is in acrostic, so every every stanza begins with the same letter. But in this particular stanza, there's also an end rhyming. The verses 25 through 28 all end with the same letter, and so do the verses 29 through 32. And that is why I will split this stanza up into two parts. The first one is about what we have to ask for when we are suffering, and the second part is what we are to commit to by God's grace. So as God's law is a law of freedom, we learn what to ask for in suffering and what to commit to in grace. It's very clear when you read Psalm 119 that the poet loves the law of God. Several times in the psalm he will also say that, Oh Lord, I love your law. But he says that not as if he were in an ivory tower far away from the reality of daily life. Rather, he says this right in the midst of all the ups and downs of human life. And this stanza brings it out. Have a look at verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. And verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. The soul That is your personality. That is your emotional life. That is who you are as a person. So this is not something superficial, just a fleeting thought. No, his soul clings to the dust. His soul melts away for sorrow. He, as a person, he's experiencing deep, deep trouble. Verse 25. 
clinging to the dust. It's like glue. And that means he's down and he's out and he can't get up. That's a human feeling that we can have too. It's it's as if he's in quicksand and he feels himself going down and he cannot get out anymore. His life is ebbing away because the word dust, of course, also reminds you of what we read in Genesis, that from dust you were made and to dust you shall return. So my soul clings to the dust, also has the element here of he, he is on the way to the grave. That's how he feels. And then verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. It's over, he's overcome by it. So you see, when he speaks about the beauty of God's law, he does so in the reality of daily life. God's word comes to us who also face these things and feel and experience these things. And of course, I said already, the Spirit directs us in Psalm 119 to Christ. Ultimately, this psalm is fulfilled in the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he went into the dust. That he he gave himself to death. And his soul was overcome with sorrow. Now what does the poet do? Well, he calls for help. Because he knows that he cannot do it by himself. He cannot do it in his own strength. Look at verse 25 again. Give me life. That's what he asked for. Because he feels his life ebbing away. Give me life. And then in verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me. So he reaches out to God. I need your help. And what gives him the courage to ask? That is the word of God, the promise of God. Give me life according to your word. You've said you would, and I trust your word. And verse 28, 28, strengthen me according to your word. So here you have a believer who, who in the difficulties of life, overwhelmed by what is happening, nevertheless reaches out to God and says, your word is my strength. So there you have verse 25 and 28. And in between those two verses, you could say, there he explains what he is really asking for, what kind of help is he looking for, what kind of strength is he looking for. Or let me ask you, first of all, if you would find yourself in these kind of circumstances, what do you ask for? When you come in prayer before the Lord. I think we all tend to think or or to pray, Lord, please take it away. I I feel overcome. This trial can be too much for me. Well, Well, look what he does and what the Spirit is teaching us here. What does the poet say in the midst of his his suffering, his need for help? He says in verse 26, teach me your statutes. That is your laws, your commandments. Teach me them. And then verse 27, 
make me understand the way of your precepts. And he says, I will even will meditate on all your wonder, wondrous works. So what does it say? The poet says, Lord, in my suffering, this is what I need. I need to understand your word. I need to be taught by you. Or you can also say what the poet is really asking is for spiritual strength. He doesn't ask, please take this problem away. Take this trial away. No, he says, help me to deal with it. I feel overcome. Teach me your word, your statutes. I will meditate on what you say. What does that teach us? Well, what does the poet see as his greatest challenge? It is not the outward hardship. It's not the people who may be opposing him. It's not the sickness that is bogging him down. No, his his biggest challenge is his own weakness, dealing with this. His inclination to give in or to give up. And brothers and sisters, that is an important lesson. I said we all meet hardships in life, suffering. We can identify with what it says in verse 25 and 28. And what do we do then? Then we have to be taught by the Spirit that the biggest challenge we have is not outside of us, the opposition we may face. No, my own weakness. Not holding on to his word as I should. That's what I need to do. And that's what I need to ask for then too when I go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, help me to deal with this. I cannot change the things that come to me. But I need your help strength, your help to deal with it so that I don't give up and give in, but continue to cling to your word. Is that something that we all keep in mind enough? Is it something also that you in your life think about? Or as you teach your children and prepare them for a life ahead in which they will meet challenges and opposition and, and trials. How do you prepare them? Just to have a stiff upper lip? Not let it get to you? No. By helping them understand the word of God. Showing them you have to go to that word. You have to ask the Lord to be taught by that word, to meditate on it, that I may understand it and apply it. For that will give strength to a new generation. And so the Spirit is coming to us in this psalm and with this psalm and says, this is where you have to go. And, And in a way, in that sense too, brings us to Jesus Christ. I said already, if one soul was troubled... It was his soul. But he remained faithful to the word of the Father. And that's why through him we sing Psalm 119. 
And we also ask to be taught to be understanding of his commandments, to have inner strength to deal with the things that come our way. I think what Paul writes in Ephesians 3, verse 16, the prayer of Paul for the Ephesians. He says that according to the riches of his glory, so according to the riches of his God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And that's what we all need to ask for, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in in our inner being. And that is a prayer that he hears and he will provide because of his work and his suffering. And that brings to our second point. Because the Holy Spirit also teaches us what to commit to in his grace. Because when you come to the Lord in this way and ask for that inner strength from his glory through the Holy Spirit, then also you have the strength to go on. Then you won't go under in the muck and the dust and the sorrow. And that is what the second part of our text speaks about. Notice that verse 30 and 31 and 32 all begin in our translation with I. I have chosen the way. I set your rules. I cling to your your testimonies. I will run. That is not the eye of look how good I am and I'll show others how strong I am. Because as I said already, Psalm 119 is not a psalm that describes how good we are and our achievements, but it is a psalm that points us to what we have in Jesus Christ. And therefore also the I here, and as you sing it, you make it your own, that is the believer who is amazed at God's work in his or her life. Is amazed at God's grace. Look at verse 29. The word grace is there. It says, put false ways far from me, and in your grace, or graciously, teach me your law. The teaching of God's law is connected here to God's grace. And that is the I who, by God's grace, now is able to go on again and walk on this path. The path that he wants to walk on is the path of God's grace, paved by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's very interesting how that element of path or destination or direction comes out in our stanza, our text. It makes you think of Psalm 1. Those two directions that Psalm 1 lays out in teaching us wisdom. Well, here too. Verse 29, put false ways far from me. False ways that are ways of falsehood, not recognizing God, thinking you can do it yourself in your own strength. Men wanting to secure his own life in his own way. That's man-centered human wisdom. And, And notice it has a plural, false Ways, Because there's so many ways that people will offer 
for you to be satisfied and to be happy and to deal with your suffering in your life and, and to find your own strength. Our world has all kinds of solutions, but not with God. False ways, ways of falsehood. And how can we know whether it is true or false when we indeed keep on being taught by the word and the law of our God? That's again where education and reformed education comes in. Preparing the next generation also to to be able to do this, to, to, to discern what is true, what is false. What are ways of falsehood? What are the ways of truth? Or the ways of faithfulness, verse 30. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. That is the other direction. He says, put false ways far from me. I have chosen the way of faithfulness, singular. There's only one. That is the way of grace. And that grace shows in commitment. Because God's grace is never inactive. And faith by which we share in this grace is always a living faith. It shows in what we do and how we do it. Doesn't James say that too? And it just set God's law before you. Remember Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your might. And you, and you keep these commandments on your forehead, on your hands, and on your doors, and the posts of your doors. It means it is everything in your life. That is the commitment because of what Christ gives to us. That is a way of faithfulness. To set God's rules before us. It means that is the focus of our lives. That is the direction of our lives. That's the goal to to serve God in accordance with his laws. And so he says in verse 31, as he explains this further, I cling to your testimonies. I cling to your testimonies. And verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments. Clinging. This is, we had earlier clinging in verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Stuck, glued. Now he says, I cling to your testimonies. I'm glued to them. That's my focus. Quite a reversal, isn't it? And there's the reversal of God's grace. Because this is not... Boasting in our achievement. And when you sing, when we sang this to this morning, we didn't say, Lord, look how good we are. But we say, thank you, Lord, for what you give to us in Jesus Christ. Because he did this for us. He always kept the commandments before him. He clung to God's testimonies, whereas I do not always do it. He set God's laws before him in my place. His righteousness. And God gives it to you. And that is your liberty. That is your freedom. And that is why the law is the law of liberty. And that is also why he runs. 
usually it speaks about walking in the commandments of God, walking in the ways of God. Here it speaks about running. That means there is, there is zeal behind it, there's enthusiasm behind it, there's energy in it and dedication. And why does he run in the way of God's commandments? What does he give it his all? Because you enlarge my heart. Now we come to that enlarged heart. God enlarges our hearts. Now your heart, your heart is your operating system. That means that determines what you do and why you do it. We make all kinds of decisions every time. Some we think about more than others. But, but all your decisions are motivated by a certain operating system. What makes you do what you do and not do what you don't do? Well, that is your heart. That, that, is, the big, that is like the, the power source of your life. Now, that heart has been enlarged, or you can also say opened up. And that is the grace of God. Because what does sin do? Sin constricts. Sin puts blockages in your heart and your arteries. And then God's grace removes those obstacles. And your heart can again function properly. And the blood again can go through your body. And that is what is meant here when it says, you enlarge my heart. That God, in his grace, takes these blockages, these obstacles away, and I can breathe again. I, I, I not have not space to, to, to think and to make decisions and, and to serve God with, with my whole heart. That is the liberty that the constriction of sin that I have brought into my own life by my own doing and my own disobedience, God removes it by his grace. And he says, now here's my law. Now run, because I've enlarged your heart. You can do it. That's the wisdom that the Spirit puts before us, brothers and sisters. And that is counterintuitive that means it goes against our own thinking. That somehow the law of God has to do with freedom and an open space and an open air you can breathe again. Our world thinks differently about it. Our world wants to tell you that freedom is when you can go your own way, when you can make your own destinations. And, and, and sin that comes with it, it promises freedom. Didn't it also promise Adam and Eve in paradise? Freedom. You heard about that from Genesis. You'll have freedom. You'll be broad-minded. You can determine what is right and what is wrong and make up your own mind, can't you? And God's law is portrayed as, as narrow-minded, old-fashioned. It constricts life. And the Bible says it's the other way around. It's the other way around. Sin is slavery, is bondage. 
And it makes you small. It makes you into a world where there's no hope. Very narrow-minded. But the grace of God that makes it all open again. That's what we read in Isaiah 61. And what the Lord Jesus also proclaimed when he came to this world. I come to proclaim liberty. And with that liberty can joy. I can walk again. I can even run. Brothers and sisters, that freedom is yours. And therefore now you can run with perseverance. You can set these rules before you. What the Lord asks of you is not impossible because he first of all gives it to you in Jesus Christ. Do you see then also how Psalm 119 is one psalm that so beautifully points to the accomplished work of Jesus Christ and what we have in him? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And I may proclaim to you this morning in the name of our risen and glorious Lord Jesus Christ that you have been set free by his grace, by his work. You may walk and live and run in the spaciousness of God's redeeming work. Your hearts have been enlarged. Now run. Run in the way of God's commandments. Run with perseverance, looking to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen.